Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and a hello to Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success. Eric, you're talking to, I believe, a Sally Sylvie today? Yeah, so Sally Sylvie is a general sales manager at Jodessa Broadcasting out in Aberdeen. We're going to talk about uh, what it's like to own and operate a, a radio station group in a small market like that, multiple stations, but broadly, too, we're going to talk about that town and how it's kind of going through a renaissance. I, I remember reading an article recently saying it's one of the wonderful places you can retire, and it was a national article. So um, suddenly this town that, you know, as we would go to uh, the ocean, you just sort of pass through. Now people are starting to stop there and um, really starting to see some changes there that are, that are for the positive. So I wanted to talk to somebody in the know, and that's what Sally can do for us today. Aberdeen, Washington. So that has a major resurgence coming. And you're good friends with Sally, are you not? I used to work with her here. I, I remain friends with her. Um, you might know her uh, Her husband, Paul Sylvie, is, uh, he does sports on King 5. They're pretty in tune with what's going on here in this region. And uh, just I, I like talking with people who are very much local, born and bred, so to speak, so that uh, they can speak to really what's happening here on the ground as opposed to a 30,000-foot-high look down. You know, this is, this is truly what's happening. Well, great. Look forward to that. I'm going to be visiting with David Horsey today. And you, of course, know that name. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people out there in Kixie land and KKNW land I've heard of David Horsey. He is a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist. 1999, I think, was his first Pulitzer Prize. And then in 2003, he got another. I like to talk to David a couple times a year because uh, he really takes his cartoon mentality, which is really an art, literally and figuratively, to put what's going on in the world in something you can grasp in three seconds. Well, he can still do that as well when I talk to him on the phone and we have an exchange about what's going on. We like to talk about what's going on locally in Seattle mm -hmm. um, and the regions and the other regions, others, other towns, and also the state and the country. So there was a lot to talk about. Uh, Absolutely. Today. Uh, and I understand you're also going to speak with Joe uh, Yogerhurst or Yogerst, I should say. Yeah, Joe Yogerst. And um, he is the author of a book and it's called 50 States and 500 Campgrounds. Okay. I thought it would be good to talk to him now. I mean, spring is on the way. We got summer coming up, something to look forward to. Now, because of time, we could only focus on the campgrounds in Washington state. And there are several I never heard of, and uh, he's quite knowledgeable. And uh, I think you will enjoy that inter interview with him later in the hour. That sounds great. I'm really looking forward to today's show. It's uh, really going to be packed with great information this entire hour. Yeah, and then, of course, we're going to have the Kixie one-hit wonder. This uh, song came from 1979. And if you're listening on KKNW, I'm going to talk about one of my questions in the self-employment quiz. We're talking about organization today. I think it's extremely critical that people take a look. If they're starting or thinking about looking at running a business, look at being extremely organized. I think that is so important and um, if you're not, I come right to my point. Don't even think about it. So anyhow, I'm going to emphasize organization with a, with a touch of selling too, which is very key. Well, let's so, get to um, it. Yeah. Okay. So Eric, coming up next then will be the two-time Pulitzer Prize winner, David Horsey. 
When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. David Horsey, who was born in Illinois and moved to Seattle when he was three, is my guest. He has been an editorial cartoonist and commentator for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, the Los Angeles Times, and now the Seattle Times. He won two Pulitzer Prizes for editorial cartooning, the first in 1999 and the second in 2003. I'd like to have David on Voices of Experience at least once a year. I really enjoy his perspective on the local, state, and national issues. When you're a cartoonist, you must grab the reader immediately and do so in seconds. And he is obviously one of the best at doing that. David, what do you think about the new mayor? I know it's early, and uh, he's been in office less than two months. Can we make any observation as to how he is doing? I'm not sure. What I like about what I've seen so far is just his style. He's sending every signal he can that he wants to work with everybody, and you know, it's a time to get beyond uh, bashing each other and figure out some solutions to our real problems. I don't know whether the you know outlines of the solutions that he's uh, given so far make me feel to- totally confident that it's going to make a huge difference. Certainly the tone of things is better. The big issue everyone talks about more than anything, of course, is the very complex issue of what we call homelessness, and there are a lot of other aspects to that besides housing. So he, he seems to be aware that it's it's more than you know just building a bunch of tiny houses he's a likable guy that's for sure and uh he knows the city knows a lot of the community uh, in 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 different ways because of his own background and well one of the things that i'm observing i think is that if we don't have a new city council or at least some new members shortly it's going to be hard for him to do anything no matter how effective he thinks he can be. It just is not going to happen. What do you think about that? I'm not sure. I think you're right that uh, a majority of the council at the moment has sort of a set idea of what they want to do and how to do it and, and what what interest groups to serve. And it would be nice to have a whole bunch of new faces on there, people who are a little more practical and, and are looking for you know solutions that aren't ideology-driven. On another subject I wanted to um, ask you about, and I was just thinking about this this morning into how the future of journalism is in the country. And I don't think we fully appreciate living in Seattle, how fortunate we are to have an independently owned newspaper closing down quicker than anything. And conglomerates are coming in and buying local newspapers all over the place. 
This, to me, is really something that is of great concern. Look at uh, living in Seattle and how fortunate we are that we have the Seattle Times right now. Even if I wasn't doing work for the Seattle Times, I'd agree with you. It, the Seattle Times is, as, as you say, is one of those rare papers that still is independent of any other entity. At best, a lot of communities in, in the country, their, their newspapers are owned by uh, a traditional newspaper company like Gannett, which at least knows that journalism is part of the deal, not just making money. But now there are financial firms that are buying up papers, and they, they have no interest at all in local communities, no interest in journalism. It's hugely dangerous. It's, you know, we got a lot of stuff to worry about these days and <laughs> as American citizens. But this is, this is one that I think is under most people's radar, because I'm not sure it's fully appreciated how important uh, independent newspapers are to the functioning of, of democracy. Thomas Jefferson famously said, roughly, the choice was between a government with no newspapers or a newspaper with no, no government. He would gladly prefer the latter. So without local newspapers letting us know what those people are up to, um, nobody else is going to do it. You know, someone with a, a blog or a podcast or something is, just does, does not replace a, a newspaper. Uh, Unless, of course, you're talking about voices of experience. That's one that, uh, exactly. you know, I know when you come on <laughs> well, this show, everybody's going, hey, I heard you on Voices of Experience, David. That was great. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I can agree with you more. And, and something along those lines about coverage, and, and it's a little bit off topic here, but I want to ask you about this. And I know Governor Inslee tried to introduce a bill which died in the Senate about, you know, basically lying about elections, there should be a cost to that. Penalties, maybe even yeah. jail time or something. And I look at something like that and I'd like to say, oh, gee, it's freedom of speech is kind of an affront to that or whatever. But on the other hand, you have freedom of speech, but you don't have freedom to lie. There's something in between there. And I'm really getting mm -hmm. tired. And you talk about, David, about, you know, the uh, local newspapers and things going away, which I totally agree with. But this whole type of um, what we've absorbed in our society over the last several years, like we've never seen it, that people just make stuff up. I saw this morning that um, uh, Culp, you know, he's running for Congress over in central Washington. Right. He hasn't conceded his first election. I don't know why he's running before he does that. <laughs> Anyhow, he's over there telling people to invermectin and hydroxychloroquine or something like that for right. COVID. Now, that's dangerous. People listen to this. They may get more sick or they're probably going to get sick because they haven't taken you know, the vaccine. Like the statistics are in that it is very effective in preventing uh, getting the uh, COVID. So anyhow, there has to yeah. be a cost paid for that, though. Now, that's what I'm thinking, and I don't know, do you have any reaction to that? I've sort of struggled with uh, Inslee's idea myself. I'm very much with you. I'd, people who are spreading you know, dangerous lies, I'd like to see them pay for that in some way. I, I, I'm not yet convinced that you know, legal penalties are, are the way to go or not, simply because we've always had this idea that short of you know shouting fire in a, in a in a crowded theater you should be able to say anything even if it's stupid even if it's wrong so the question is is this like shouting fire and 
actually, uh, in the example you give, maybe it is. Yeah, if you're, you're telling people to do things that will be harmful to themselves. The fact is, people have been lying in politics forever. What's different now is their megaphone is so much larger. And this, this sort of relates back to the, the loss of influence of you know, legitimate journalism. It's, it's, it's been overpowered by social media and all the places people go, can go on the Internet to, to hear crazy, insane ideas. It's changing our politics. It's changing our society because uh, there have always been kind of goofballs with crazy ideas and conspiracy theories. They've never had anything close to the massive platform they now have to, or megaphone they now have to, to you know, send those ideas out and influence other people. And um, it's, it's really dangerous. I want to ask you one other thing, and that would be about Bellevue. And we've just found out yes. that Seattle is now going to be the bedroom community to Bellevue in many ways. Yes. And little did I know when we moved to Bellevue in 1962, when I was eight years old, that I would be moving to a city that would be the most expensive city in the country. That is absolutely incredible. I'm kind of glad that Amazon moved some stuff over there, and people are going, oh, gosh, we're losing to Amazon. No, go over there. Share the wealth. And But this is going to be a huge problem now coming up for Bellevue. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we got high, these high-tech jobs and things like that. Again, I don't know what – we give it a lot of lip service, like we have homelessness in Seattle, and we say we need to do something about this affordable housing but we really don't in many ways, and I don't see any way out of Bellevue surviving in a moderate way. So what are your thoughts on that? It, it is amazing and frightening that uh, this perfectly nice town across the lake is now more expensive than any place else in the country. And it's part of the reason simplistic ideas about homelessness kind of miss a bigger point of what's going on and and i'm not even sure i can fully grasp what's going on when you're living in a part of the world where housing costs are among the highest if not the highest in the country it's it's not some plot to send people to tents it's just a weird economic dynamic that's going on and it makes me wonder how much we are becoming like Vancouver where there's a lot of outside money coming in investing in the hot real real estate market and driving it up we're all surprised right that, that this is happening in Bellevue right now which suggests to me that we don't know what's going on entirely we don't understand the full measure of this dynamic and let alone what to do to to uh, cool things down. Well, you know something? Let's not forget Spokane. Spokane is really hot now. And here's a good example. You're trying to, like like foreign investments, you're talking about certainly like what happened in Vancouver and is happening here. But um, you look also at an individual who like 30, 35 years ago, maybe even longer, 40 years ago. Anyhow, he's bought, as an entrepreneur, didn't have money behind him, like 70 homes in Spokane over the years, okay? Uh-huh. He's been renting them out for that length of time. He has never raised the rents on the residents in his homes in 25 years. Not $1 wow. increase. Now, it's a pragmatist move because 
he felt that that's not where you really make all your money. And maybe people will be prone to stay there when people move out, come in. It costs money too. So the point is he didn't raise rent. Now he has been approached by a conglomerate on the outside saying, Mm -hmm. we want to buy up all your homes. And it's a very, very generous offer. But you know when this conglomerate comes in, they're going to raise those home prices because they're way under market. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of the cycle here. That's happening a lot more than I think people think that people are coming in on the outside to some depressed markets that are emerging like Spokane, mm-hmm. that they're coming in right. and that's what they're doing. I think that's happening a lot more than we think. I don't have any great evidence of this. It's more anecdotal, but uh, yeah, I think that's happening in a lot of places. That's helping drive the phenomenon, definitely. The question is, is there something government should do? Would that help or would that hurt? I, it reminds me, uh, recently I did a uh, cartoon that got me some heat from the left in, in our wonderful town here. There's a bill in the state legislature that would lift zoning rules, in, allow Seattle to lift zoning rules uh, that basically protect single-family housing and would more or less allow open zoning throughout the city. And the, the proponents of this idea are saying that will allow much a lot more multi-family units to be built. You know, you can debate whether or not single family has been a good thing for Seattle or it's time to become, you know, Manhattan. <laughs> point I made in my little cartoon was simply that the idea that suddenly there'd be all this low-cost housing created, it's probably kind of dreamy that more likely that developers, being savvy businessmen, would take that opportunity to build a lot of new $800,000 condos. I was then attacked for this cartoon by people said I was anti-homeless and um, I had an agenda. I'm not sure what my agenda mostly is trying to get a cartoon out every day. I was just raising a question <laughs> about who's really, will this really uh, fix anything uh, or will it just make developers a little richer than they are? Which is what their job is. It's a valid you know, question. I mean, how can yeah, somebody uh, yeah, say right. that you're asking the question out there? You didn't say this is absolutely going to happen. But hey, you know, if we look at history and their developers, they want to make a lot of money. So my example would be in my neighborhood. And I'm actually happy with changes in my neighborhood because the restaurants have improved. <laughs> but, Great. Um, Nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm looking out. I'm looking out my window right now at what used to be, you know, up the street, just a little single family home, you know, just one elderly woman lived there and then she sold and it was replaced by four townhouses on the same lot. So you could say, that's great. There's, there's more housing there. Instead of one person, there are probably four families in there, but each one of those units sold for $1.2 million. I'm not sure that helped (laughs) very much with the homeless problem. I'd like to see a little more pragmatism. And it's not that we haven't done this in the past at all. During Norm Rice's administration in the 90s, he identified urban centers throughout the city, University of Washington, right. you know, West Seattle Junction, and a number of others. And you look at the junction in West Seattle where I live, um, that has mm-hmm. really exploded into a lot of apartments and high-density developments. I always look at it and they say it's all or nothing. Let's just take all of the single neighborhoods away. 
And I'm going, you know, right. Seattle is known as being a really single-family neighborhoods that make this such a vibrant city. You want to take that away. I kind of scratched my head on that, kind of going, why is it all or nothing? You said it, pragmatism. you got to be pragmatist uh, in this yeah, world. Yeah, and we, we've yeah. lost that, and that's what I think is uh, a shame. Okay, I went off on a tangent there, but yeah. um, <laughs> that's all right. That's anyhow, um, it's kind of... It's your show, man. Yeah, you, you, you can go off on your tangent. Following on what, what you were saying, that the most sort of disheartening thing for me, uh, having watched politics for you know my whole career and enjoyed it most of the time is how on both the right and left you have sort of these absolutist attitudes and sort of an arrogance about you know we are right and you are not just wrong you're the enemy um and i get it from both sides because and that's I'm a good thing. I would think I would be proud of that. Questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's always been true. It's just the the tone of it is so nasty now. Okay, um, all right. And so, yeah. and and ultimately, I, it's not. I don't care. I'll just keep doing my cartoons. But for the sort of problems we are facing, it doesn't fix anything. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were doing your uh, your tangent about you know uh, you know the value of preserving some single family neighborhoods because that's that's made Seattle what it is. There there are people who would just immediately condemn you for that as you know anti homeless and and uh, reactionary and blah blah blah. But that's interesting, yeah. David. You okay. have said that in your profession that things that you receive are a lot nastier than they used to be. You feel it. I mean, you see it, not just feel oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I politics used to be an enjoyable sport. I always got the sense that, that mostly it was people of good faith, conservative, liberal, whatever, who were you know, disagreed on policies but shared the basic belief that you know it's, it's worth working together to make the city and the state and the country a better place to live for everybody. I don't see that many places anymore. To yeah. that point, I had Stu Elway on about a month ago. The Elway poll had just come out. He said something very interesting, that, and it had to do with one of the questions on the bill was introduced about limiting the magazines on guns. The people who are pro-gun went crazy and the people anti-gun. But that's not the point. What he said is that what's interesting that he's seen, he's been doing this for 30 years, is that 90% of the people, excuse me, who are Democrats were for this bill to limit the magazines, like I think the 10 bullets. And then 90% of the Republicans Mm -hmm. who are against this, whatever the issue is, if Democrats are for it, Republicans are against it. It's not even right, what right. the issue is anymore. You see what I'm driving at? Uh, or he's driving right. at. But anyhow, I'm repeating what he said. But you see, he's seen this develop into his polls where the issues aren't as important as to, are the Democrats for it? Oh, good. I'm against it. Vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the heart of uh, the the crisis, I think, in, in our democracy. That, that There's no center anymore or not an effective center. You know, from the time I, when I got right out of college, covered the state legislature, I, I, I always admired the people who kind of worked in the middle. Um, you know, D- Dan Evans is still my my hero. And, and you know, 
in those days, those long-gone days, there were conservatives, Republicans and Democrats in, in Olympia, for instance, who, uh, you know, they worked together, they, they sorted out answers, they liked each other, <laughs> disagreements of philosophy and policy, but it wasn't our side right or wrong. Um, and, but that's really where we are now. My thanks to two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist David Horsey. If you'd like to take a look at his current and previous work, just Google David Horsey, and that's H-O-R-S-E-Y. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. On today's Spotlight on Success, I'm speaking with Sally Silvey, General Sales Manager of Jodessa Broadcasting out in Aberdeen, Washington. Sally is a longtime radio veteran who recently took on the challenge of running the day-to-day activities of an entire radio group out there in Grays Harbor County. She's very familiar with the surrounding area, and I'll be talking with her about what it's like to run a radio group, first and foremost, but also... Talk about the region itself and any changes that have been happening or good things that are that are happening to that region out there. Well, Sally, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, you and I have worked together for, for years now, and of course, you're now out there, but we've remained friends. And uh, I wanted you to be on this show to talk to our audience a little bit about what it's like to sort of take the plunge, first of all, because now that COVID is sort of winding down, you're one of those that sort of were involved in the big resignation, if you will, and you, you decided to chase your dream. So talk a little bit about your, your background and how you now have come to sit there in your beautiful office out there in uh, Aberdeen. <laughs> well, I started at Jodesha Broadcasting. I think it's been maybe like 20 years ago now because I was here for eight and there for 10. And mm-hmm. um, Anyway, so I started here. Uh, we were in Raymond and it was a little station and you had to walk up like a million stairs. I can't even remember, but I just know there was a million stairs. And, and I thought radio was pretty cool, but it was a far way to drive because it was all the way in Raymond. So I decided, oh, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do something else. And then, and then a little while later, I decided, I really like doing that. So I came back, and by then, Jodesha Broadcasting had grown into five or six stations. So I started out as a salesperson, and then I became the promotions director, which is still the salesperson. And up there, you guys have a promotions director for, for every station. And here, that's it. You have one. <laughs> so, okay. And then... Then I became the sales manager, and then I kind of decided that I had learned everything I could here, and I wanted to try something else, so I came up to Seattle. And I first worked for CBS, and then I fell in love with Warm, and so I went over and sold when you guys were Sandusky, and then I was there for the Hubbard purchase. Mm -hmm. And then I left for seven months and four days and sold TV. And I came back to (laughs) Hubbard until, you know, the great pandemic. And, and, um, And then I just really thought, you know, I just want to do some other, some other things, and an opportunity came. Bill Wolfenbarger, who's our owner, needed some help and wanted to gradually exit his stations. And so he and my soon-to-be business partner, Gabrielle Jordan, 
Um, she's our general manager. We all kind of got together, and Gabby and I will be taking over the reins here probably by the end of the year. Wow. So stepping it up yeah. even more than what you're doing right now. Now, have you owned a business before? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's way more fun this way. <laughs> Absolutely. Just sort of, well, part I of this, mean, part of this show with Paul... Stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to say part of this show with Paul with Voices of Experiences, you know, he talks a lot about what it takes to succeed in business. And you're sort of getting a trial by fire here uh, and learning by the seat of your pants as it's happening. Um, I, I love our conversations where you talk about all the crazy stuff that's happening, you know, and it's just never ending. But there's also a love to it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, you're probably exhausted, but I bet also you feel pretty proud of yourself. I do. And it's really funny because, um, like as a side note, my husband and I have a sleep number bed and it tells you like how fast it takes for you to fall asleep. <laughs> and I'm so exhausted that my average is 12 minutes. Oh, that's great. I, mean, I go to bed <laughs> and in 12 minutes, party's over. Like I'm just exhausted. <laughs> so, but I love coming in. Like, I'm, you know, I come in and I'm super, I have so much fun and yeah, it can be really frustrating sometimes, but everybody here loves it. And we're, you know, it's a team and it's not that we don't have hard days and there's not days that we don't cry. So I've learned a lot. I learned a lot in the last year. Wow. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that too, but um, let's talk about Jodesha Broadcasting itself. So how many radio stations? We have five. Okay. So five, and that's pretty much the radio stations in that area of Grays Harbor, correct? No. Oh. No. So we actually have a competitor. We have Alpha Media. Okay. Yep. And they have four stations. So there's a total of nine stations down here. Their population is like 76,000. So for us, I mean, there's, we don't have competing stations, really, okay. so it's kind of not a big deal. But also, A, it's reaching the local people, but we have thousands and thousands of people that come down here all summer long to Seabrook and Ocean Shores and Westport. So it's really great to be able to have our local businesses talk to those people and say, hey, this is what we have here, because so many great things and so many passionate people here. Yeah, I've... I've really learned that through knowing you uh, and your experience growing up there or, or a good portion of your adult life there. Um, y- you've taught me that there's really more to that area than just ocean shores. There's some really cool things that are going on in Aberdeen and Hoquiam and Westport and, you know, depending on where you're at. And uh, it, it has a different feel depending on where you're at in the county too. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things, th- this is just kind of a random thing, but I know your friend will really like this is, um, You know, Kurt Cobain, obviously, we have the tie with Kurt Cobain here. Mm -hmm. And the sign that was on the highway coming in, the city of Aberdeen was able to buy that, which doesn't happen. Like, it just doesn't happen. It was like a five, six-year process of them getting that. And so it's now hidden in a a storage location, and I think they're waiting for the new museum to open. But everybody here is just so proud of all the things that we have going on, the logging community, the fishing community, you know, the music, like we have so many great musicians that come out of here. So yeah, so it's pretty cool. That's a good point. You know, it's almost like radio in a sense. Uh, People have been calling for the demise of radio for how many decades? And here we are Mm -hmm. still going strong. Uh, I think what at last count is 92, 93% of America still listens to radio throughout the course of the week. And and that's bigger in a small market. I bet. Yeah. you know, because, like when we do a contest, like our phones light up, like people will be like, oh, I heard this or oh, I heard that. You know, we we have our our main station, Sunny, um, our jock looks out and people drive by and honk <laughs> and 
you know, we talk, hey, chicken, because one of the guys' <laughs> name is chicken. Um, but, you know, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's really cool how much you can touch the community here. Yeah, you're certainly a voice for them, too. Uh, I'm amazed yeah. how many stations are, are out there. That's that's wild. Um, but it sounds like uh, you fa- you're finding your niche. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of going back to what I was saying about radio, sort of the demise of Aberdeen, too, that area is so reliant on logging early on, of course, and then fishing after that and and yet they just keep coming back you know um mm-hmm. so let's talk about sort of the what's happening now we touched a little bit but what's happening now and what you kind of see f- for the future with that area in all of grace harbor i think i mean the housing market you know we were gosh in the top 10 i can't remember what it was for housing mm-hmm. remember the new york post did that yes um so housing went up a lot the interesting thing about housing here is there isn't any. Hmm. So there's no rentals. I mean, they're really hard to find. So if you were an investor, I mean, this is the place because we have, we have so much room for growth and we're trying to get in doctors and all these things, but there's no housing. So it's this weird kind of like, well, there's nowhere for me to live. Like, you know, and the cost of living is so inexpensive here. We're just on the cusp of, of good big things happening and you know it's like now that we're opening up we have the port we have you know we have like one of the largest shipping ports to the open sea mm-hmm. and we see the barges come in and out from our house all the time and tourism's huge sure. this town is set up where you have to drive directly through downtown to get in and directly to get out so you know we we see a lot of tourism a lot a lot of tourism well and aberdeen itself is such a beautiful little downtown i love all the old buildings um and i see some renovation happening there and uh it's one of those towns that i, I would imagine five ten years you're stopping you're getting maybe you're going into a really funky bar or, or a cool restaurant or maybe staying in a, a, a renovated hotel you know uh and making mm-hmm. that now a destination not just a drive-through yeah, and that's the hope. I mean, you know, as they as they redo downtown, you know, things are looking up. We just had a new restaurant open. Um, there's another new built, an old building downtown that um, they're remodeling, but they won't tell anybody what they're doing. So I'm not really yeah, sure. Super secret. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we only have a minute left in the interview. This just blazed right by. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. How can people find out more about your radio stations? We just launched our new website actually oh, last week. Nice. Um, GoGraysHarbor.com. And actually, besides our stations, it's got a lot of community information on it. So you can go to the different towns. You can check out, you know, all the different information. So just, um, and our app should be up and ready by this week. So yeah, gograceharbor.com. Wonderful. Uh, Sally, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate your thoughts and uh, congratulations on the success you've had already. I know it'll yeah, continue. And uh, do keep that great work going on there for your your local audience there at Jodessa Broadcasting. And as for all of you listeners to Spotlight on Success, be sure to tune in next week for another interesting conversation. Best to you all, and Sally, best to you. Thank you. You're listening to Voices of Experience. If you or a loved one has diabetes, health care can be time-consuming and costly. The good news is your Medicare benefits can help. Here are some tips from the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging and United Healthcare. Know your numbers. Medicare covers blood glucose monitors and test strips. Take care of your eyes. Medicare covers vision screenings for people with diabetes. Get moving. Some Medicare Advantage plans include a gym membership. 
To learn more about healthy aging, visit your local area agency on aging or medicaremadeclear.com. Joe Yogurst is my guest, and he has written a book in association with National Geographic. His most recent book, 50 States, 500 Campgrounds, Where to Go, When to Go, What to See, and What to Do. It covers all 50 states, Canada, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Because of limited time, we focused our conversation on campgrounds in Washington State. Spring and summer on the way, I thought it would be a good time to take a look at some of the campgrounds in this state. There's been a real spike in interest in camping because of the pandemic, and uh, it's probably not going to go away anytime soon. So if you're interested in camping, you may want to make your reservations sooner than later. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk to Joe first about camping gear. How much should you spend for a sleeping bag, a tent, and other accessories? I went on REI this morning, and I can see you can get a sleeping bag anywhere from $99 to $500. Not to ask you a brand or something, but what should you spend on a good sleeping bag? What should you spend on a good tent? It depends on how avid a camper you are. I have a sleeping bag that I bought in 1988 for a backpack trip in the Pyrenees in Spain and France. And I paid top dollar then. I don't remember what it was, probably the equivalent of what is 500 now. And I still have that sleeping bag, and it's still in great shape. (laughs) Well, that's wonderful. So if if you buy top of the line, you can get it to last for, how long is that? 34 years. Tents, I've always been kind of gone towards the cheap side of tents, to be honest with you. And I've kind of got, they've got, I have three of them and they've got more expensive as time goes on just because I wanted to upgrade. My theory is if you're new to camping, start cheap. And if you decide to, to like it, gradually add things as you, as you go on. You know, you don't have to, you can buy a basic little gas stove to cook on at first or just cook with firewood over a fire pit and eventually get a basic Coleman stove and, and, and graduate up to more expensive, fancier, you know, outdoor stoves um, with propane. You know, it's like, other you know, when you ski, if you're going to be getting to ski, you're not going to go out and buy the most expensive skis and boots right off. You're going to rent or you're going to buy something that's pretty cheap and then decide whether you like it or not. And the same with RVs, I would say, you know, rent an RV before you buy one because you may decide that you don't like RVing. <laughs> so, it's so true. I've read I, that a lot, and I think that's great advice. Yeah, and I think the same with camping equipment. Um, if you're new to it, start spend a couple hundred dollars on the basic equipment, a tent, a sleeping bag, an air mattress are the three things you really need. And then I would say some sort of propane stove after that. And you really don't need any thing more than that you know a flashlight maybe or a headlamp and and some cooking you know pots and pans and plates to eat off of but you really don't need a lot more than that people have the uh concept that when you go out camping that you're roughing it all the time but there is a such a thing as posh camping is that correct no it's it's glamorous camping it's 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 glamping but I would call it posh camping because I think that's a more interesting term, um, or luxury camping. And that's basically, um, you know, I think of it as the, the old Hemingway-style safaris from Africa in the 20s and 30s. It's a, it's a big, fully furnished canvas tent, 
and a staff of people that cook and pour your martinis and do your laundry for you and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it is definitely posh camping, and it's a big trend. There's even a couple of nationwide glamping chains like Under Canvas, which has glamping locations at the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone and Cape Cod and places like that. Uh, you know, it's a great way to do it if you don't want to get dirty and do everything yourself, but it's a lot more expensive for sure. Um, but you get what you pay for. It's a fantastic experience. Um, some of them even have evening entertainment outside around the campfire, as in professional singers and musicians and things. So so let's get into some spots like in Washington State. I see the cover of your book. I'm looking at it right now. I want to make a guess on the cover. It looks to me that that could be the San Juan Islands in Washington State. I think that's a pretty good guess. <laughs> I don't know if it actually says in the book, though, where it's at, but I think it does. It definitely looks like the San Juan Islands. So there it is. You've got 50 cover, states to cover, and we made the cover, it looks like. We don't know for sure. But I think that the San Juans is a really, really good guess. And maybe That's we should start there uh, in the San Juan Islands. It may be a, a camping place there. I think that was one of the highlights of your 12 places you cited in Washington State. It was. I was up there about... Um, a year and a half ago in the, the first uh, summer of this book. And um, actually, I lie. I was there last spring in May of 2021. Boy, man, the pandemic just warps your whole sense of time, doesn't it? It sure does. Um, you know, the San Juans were, were known for great, you know, kind of, air, you know, beds and breakfasts and cabins and things like that. But they're really getting into the glamping part of it. Um, and I stayed in a couple of really cool little glamping resorts up there that were very, very, very nice. One on San Juan Island, the other on Orcas Island. And one in a state park and run by the State Park Service, Washington State. And the other in a, a whole brand new private place. And the one in the state park on you know Mount Moran State Park um, on Orcas Island is um, it was the first summer of a new glamping and tents thing that the state park had set up there next to the lake down the lowlands and um, fantastic experience you know with a with a fully furnished tent and an outdoor cooking area with with its own co you know you with its own Coleman stove set up there and um, so you had to cook yourself so it's not really glamorous or luxury glamping but you know, there's a nice warm bed, and it's fully furnished with chairs and furniture and an outdoor area to eat. And in the middle of the, you know, of the of the rainforest there, and it's right next to a, a a trail that goes all the way around the lake, which I did in the morning with my wife, and we did some other trails in the park. The other place over on um, San Juan Island was 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 brand new. You know, I would say semi, you know, luxury luxurious little cabins. Very, very nicely designed, um, very comfortable, set in a, a private forest patch there. We had a whole um, family of foxes that lived behind us that we could see out our bedroom window in the morning. And we roamed out from there all over San Juan Island to uh, doing various things, um, of which there are a lot, eating oysters, drinking the local locally made spirits, vodka, um, going out to the historical areas um, and Limehouse State Park and um, San Juan National Historical Park where the pig war took place between Britain and the U.S. back in the 1850s, and going into town to eat it and eating at some great restaurants in Friday Harbor, so which was like five minutes down the road from the glamping place. Um, so great trip to the San Juans, discovered places that I d didn't know about before, and two great places to stay. 
Wonderful. How about other places in Washington State to camp? And maybe uh, hit a place over in eastern Washington, because obviously that's a very different environment on the other side of the mountains. And maybe highlight some place over there if you could. Premier RV Resort, um, which is way out in the southeast corner of the state and uh, r- right off the um, Columbia River and uh, actually the Snake River in that part of the state, was one place that I discovered that I thought it's mostly an RV resort, but it's also for people who have tents who are out there and just want to set up a, you know, uh, a place on a t- in, with their tent. So that was a cool place out in the east um, that I found. You know, there's a lot more in the Cascades and in the Olympic Peninsula just because of the nature of the national parks and the national forests and things like that. And uh, so I discovered some great places in, on the Olympic Peninsula that were both inside and outside the park. Mount Rainier is a great place for cabins and camping and hiking. Um, and, of course, North Cascades and the recreation areas there. And uh, even some very unusual things in Washington State. There's a an outfit called Expedition Old Growth, which um, is down in Gifford Pinchot National Forest outside of Carson, Washington. And they basically set up what are called tree boats, which I would call tree hammocks. And they'll take you out to a Douglas fir, and they have these tree hammocks about 100 feet up in the Douglas fir. And they, and they hoist you up there, and you spend the night in a hammock 100 feet off the ground in a Douglas fir in the middle of the forest. I read about so, that in the Seattle Times maybe five or six years ago, and I had forgotten about that. And there was someone I knew who did do that and said it was an incredible experience. But I had forgotten about it until I read it in your book. And I go, I wonder how that place is doing. And obviously, it's doing pretty well. They're still around. They were they were hurt by the first year of COVID, but they bounced back last year. The same guy is still running it, Damien. Um, they, they only do it from June to October. They don't do it during the, the rainy, snowy part of the year down there. Sure. Um, but I think it's a wonderful experience. It's just something totally different that, that I don't know that you can do anywhere else unless you were to do it yourself as a climber, right? So that's an, a very unusual camping experience in Washington State that you really can't get anywhere else that I know of. COVID and how that impacted the country. And a lot of people ended up going camping as a result. And uh, do you think that's going to hold over the long term? I think it will. Um, and possibly even more so because there's still a lot of people that are leery and getting out and traveling. Although I think it's perfectly safe now. I mean, especially if you're vaccinated that, um, you know, to fly somewhere. I mean, I've taken a lot of flights over the last two years and managed to avoid it even before I was vaccinated. And camping, you know, if you're really that worried, it's a self-contained unit. You drive yourself, you stay in your own tent or cabin, you know, you cook or prepare your own meals, and you don't have to to, to be near anybody, which is, to me, part of the attraction of camping long before COVID came around, was just get, getting away from it all and being by yourself or with your family and, and enjoying nature. And And I think a lot of people definitely started camping, you know, either rediscovering it or doing it for the first time because of the pandemic. And I think that they will continue to do it. Um, I think that for for years ahead, um, it'll be hard to get camping reservations in Yellowstone and Yosemite in the summer. My thanks to author and outdoorsman Joe Yogerst. To find out about this book and other books he's written, just Google Joe Yogerst, and that's Y-O-G-E-R-S-T. One more time, Y-O-G-E-R-S-T. He's written other books. One's called 50 States, 5,000 Ideas, Drives of a Lifetime, 
and 1,000 Perfect Weekends. And those books cover the world. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And welcome back. You know, Paul, this is the portion of the show for KKNW listeners where we get a chance to learn more about what it's like to run your own business. To be self-employed is a dream of many. And I think uh, due to COVID, a lot of people, you've heard of the great resignation, Paul. Uh, A lot of people have rethought, you know, do I want to keep working in in the corporate world? Do I want to keep working in this uh, blue-collar job? Maybe I want to start my own business. Well, you know, like anything else, you want to be prudent about it. And you want, this is a serious matter and it could cost a lot of money, certainly a lot of time if you get it wrong. So, Paul, what are we going to talk about today in this segment? Well, I think through my experience running a business for now 30 plus years, one of the things that came to me as I ran the business is simply in talking to various people and what my own thought process was and inspired me to write my book, Is Self-Employment for You? And I wrote the book because I had many experiences going along the route of doing this, and I made a lot of mistakes. So I wanted to step back and take some uh, reflection on that and help other people out if they're thinking about doing this. And so I created what I call the self-employment quiz. There were 20 questions on that quiz. The higher you score on that quiz, I believe, the higher your prospects for success. And you can take that quiz by going to voicesofexperience.com forward slash home. And it'll be immediate. And don't share it with anybody. If you want to share with anybody, you can. But that's up to you. Mm -hmm. The good news I feel about the quiz I've heard over the years is that people have said one or two things. They've said, one, this is for me. I can do this after taking the quiz or reading some of the book. and Or they say, I can't do this. This is not for me. I feel that's the best answers I can get both ways. What I didn't want to hear is like, well, I did the quiz and I read the book and uh, I don't know yet. I'm ambivalent. So with that, that's why I intentionally did this. And and one of the questions on the quiz is organization. And I believe this is so critical. This was pounded into someone who was my mentor, Larry Kaufman, the late Larry Kaufman, but he really taught me the real importance of being organized. I thought I was organized before, but no, now you got to, if you're in business, you got to be organized on steroids. (laughs) This is why it's so important in real estate. You know, the motto is location, location, location in business. It's organization, organization, organization. Time is your most precious commodity and how you spend that time is critical. For example, I think that you should be spending, if you're 
and solopreneur, you're just starting out, 80% of your time should be spent selling. And maybe you don't like to sell or that's okay, but will you sell? If you don't sell or don't take that upon yourself to do it, then I wouldn't go into business for yourself because no one can sell your concept like you. Don't abdicate that to someone else in the beginning. Very, very, I feel very, very strong on that point. So anyhow, organization and selling to me are absolutely critical. And people can find this at voicesofexperience.com forward slash home, correct? That is correct. There you go. Uh, Paul, great information about organization. I agree 100%. Uh, and, and I actually get a little nervous when I feel disorganized uh, because I know something's askew. I need to, to button, up the, button up the business a little bit here. And, and, and you're so right about sales. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to be able to sell yourself. And you, more than anyone, know the ins and outs of your business. So why not? You're going to be the best salesperson if you really put your mind to it. Right. And I'm just here to say, this is when you start your business. I stayed a solopreneur throughout my career. Now, this could change as you get larger and you bring on other people. But this, my goal is to get you to like the three to five year point. And then you do with what you want. If you're on a big board of directors and get big and become Jeff Bezos, good for you. I can't comment on that. But these are the things I feel comfortable commenting on. Thank you, Paul. Great information as always. Voicesofexperience.com forward slash home. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and along with Eric Crema, we thank you for joining us today. Eric, that was a great interview with Sally, one of your best. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's a wonderful interview, uh, she's a great friend, and uh, very knowledgeable, uh, great personality as well, as I, I imagine the listeners glean from listening today. Uh, same to you, uh, Paul. I loved your uh, interviews with both uh, uh, David Horsey and Joe Yogurst. Uh, fascinating, interesting, and uh, compelling, really. Yeah, it's very timely. So that's what I enjoyed about both of those interviews. So, Eric, what do you have coming up next week? So, next week, I'm going to interview a an artist, a local musician and uh, philanthropist when it comes to dogs, in particular uh, charities and things like that. Is Glenn By, and uh, he, you may know, has done some revival work with Steppenwolf as they tour. Uh, he's a musician that's worked with a lot of artists, so it'll be just fascinating to learn about uh, his walk down through life and the people that he's in, he's encountered, sort of get an inside look as as to the entertainment industry. How about you? That's that's great. We need more of that, and I'm glad you're doing that. I'm going to be talking to the former publisher of the Puget Sound Business Journal, Mike Flynn, and we're going to be talking about Dan Evans' autobiography. It just came out. Dan Evans, 95 years old. Wow. What an amazing time in Washington State political history. And um, so I just want to let everybody know that uh, this show airs 3 p.m. on Wednesdays, on Kixie and it is simulcast on KKNW AM 1150 on, on the same time, of course, and then repeated on Kixie only on Sundays at 11 a.m. My name is Paul Casey. Thanks to Eric, host of Spotlight on Success and executive producers, Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. They just do a wonderful job. Quote of the week, faith means the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. It's nothing to be admired. Bill Maher. 
At Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound, one youth, one mentor, plus one moment can unlock limitless potential. When you sign up to become a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you are matched one-on-one with a child in your community, a child with big potential. Hundreds of local youth are waiting. Be there for one of them. Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound. Sign up today at MentorSeattle.org. That's MentorSeattle.org.